doing this morning, Impact Church? Everybody excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Hey, a touch cooler temperature, at least for a while. And hey, man, if things go as uh, planned next week, man, it looks like we may be rolling up here with some serious air conditioning on. It's supposed to be like 48 next Sunday morning. That's going to be right. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, good. Glad you're here. If you're worshiping with us today, first, second, third, fourth, 20th time, whatever you call it, and you're searching for a church home today, a place to get connected, a place to, to get involved, a place where the Word of God is unapologetically preached and stood on and the truth is spoken in love, you're in the right place. Amen. So we hope that the Lord would lead you right here where God is at work doing a special, special move amongst his people and in this community, and we're just getting started. It's a beautiful time for you to get plugged in, be a part of what God's doing. So welcome to Impact this morning. We hope that this is your new church home. We'd love to meet you and get plugged in. So continuing in our sermon series here, I'm going to get right to it because there's a lot to to, uh, filter through today in the message the Lord has brought. We're continuing in our sermon series called Counter Culture, all right, where we're talking about speaking the truth in love. And we're hitting on a lot of topics that we face today as people in society, and especially as followers of Christ, where we see the world going a a opposite direction, the culture going an opposite direction from what God's word commands us to be and do and how to live. So today, we're looking specifically this week and next week at sexual purity, honoring God with our bodies. So that being said, we would welcome, of course, middle school and up, but parental guidance is noted. We'll be speaking on some sensitive subjects today, next week, and probably the week after that. So uh, if you feel like you're not ready for your kids to hear some of this, active kids ministry in the back up through fifth grade, love for you to get them plugged in to be a part of that. So right now, I want to allude to this message with an example, uh, kind of a, a metaphor, if you will, from what we alluded to last week, and that's the example of a fire. And we all know what fire is, right? Fire, in and of itself, you tell your kids from an early age, what? Don't play with fire. Don't play with it. Why? Because it's dangerous. It'll burn you. It'll cause you pain, right? So fire can be dangerous, hurtful. But if we take that same dangerous, hurtful fire and we take it inside our home, and we put it in this nice contained box called a fireplace. Is it dangerous anymore? Not as much. In fact, it brings warmth. It brings comfort. It brings an an atmosphere of of welcoming, of, of intimacy. It brings light, and it's very useful and enjoyable, and it brings happiness. But if you take that fire now out of that contained box of the fireplace and you put it on your rug, it's not as enjoyable anymore, is it? When it spreads to the walls and hits the curtains and starts to go up to the roof, and before you know it, your whole house is inflamed, and these guys over here are are scrambling to your house to, to try to put it out. And everybody's screaming and making sure everybody's out and everybody's safe and all my all my stuff and everything's ruined. But if it would have stayed in the fireplace, it would have been so enjoyable. Guys, today, that is the message God wants us to hear about human sexuality. We're going to speak on the truth of human sexuality and how God created it and designed it. Because it's a message that's not preached on or heard 
much at all. And I'm going to tell you that today in society, as the culture has let the fire out of the fireplace and the church has followed suit, that we're in a huge raging forest fire that seemingly can't be put out. Today, because the fire of human sexuality has gotten out of the fireplace and has been used and, and practiced outside of the, the grounds of, by which God has created it to be in, there is a lot of devastation going on. And here's the thing. There's been a shift in our society, a fast shift. Over the past 50 to 60 years, the practice of human sexuality in our nation has changed at a faster rate than any other place at any other time in history. I want you to hear that again. Faster than any time at any place else in history. Yeah, sure, you can find some other culture, some other places that as a whole were more sexually immoral than maybe what we are as a nation today. You can look at Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible and see that. God couldn't even find 10 righteous people in the place, right? Okay, we ain't there yet. Oh, but we getting close especially in some parts of our nation. We're getting close. So we ain't there yet. So there's been obviously worse. But nobody has changed faster than we have. The decline has fallen off a cliff. The, the proverbial snowball is rolling, baby, and is getting bigger and more dangerous. So what do we do? What does it look like? What are we facing here today? As we look at this shift and we define it first and foremost like we've done in some of our other messages, we look back to the, in, in the 40s and 50s of our nation, only 5% of girls and 10% of boys high school age were sexually active or had had sex. Now that rate is 50%, give or take, when you look across the board statistics over the past 10 to 20 years. From 5 and 10% to 50%. Some statistics, when you look at them, show that this is even worse in the evangelical church. Kids of that age in the church. That's what's so hard, guys. Is you would think the church and the, and the teenagers in the church would, would be less. Studies are showing potentially it's more. That up to 88% of teens in that age have had sex and are sexually active. The average age of losing virginity now amongst high school boys and girls is 17 years old. We're a sexually active society. And here's the, here's the bad thing. Even up to 14% have had multiple partners already in this young age group in high school. Multiple partners, up to 14, 15%. Here's the other danger statistic. Sexually active teens are shown to be more depressed and more likely to commit suicide. I want you to think about that for just a minute. I thought it was supposed to make you happy. That's not what psychologists, secular psychologists, this research didn't come out of the 700 Club and Dr. James Dobson and all that. This is secular research, guys, from the world. Pointing to what God says is true. That what the world says is going to make you happy and fill you up is actually destroying you. It's making you depressed and wonder what life's about. And it's, and it's making people want to commit suicide. Scary, scary statistics. Here's another statistic around that. They found that the teens that were not active sexually, that were sexually inactive, were happier 
and reported less depression and less suicide. That's God screaming from the rooftops, my word is true. Will you come and will you live according to my word? Because I have set some boundaries. I've set some guardrails to keep you in the road. That's going to give you life. It's going uh, to make you avoid some of the destruction that's potentially out there. We know that those that are sexually promiscuous before marriage are more likely to be adulterers in their relationship and to get divorced. That's statistically proven. And now we look at divorce rate. We know across the nation, it's around 50% or over. When the divorce rate in the 40s and 50s, you know what the percentage was? It was in the single digits. You see the shift? Total shift of morality. We're talking about in one lifetime. Quick, fast, doesn't take long. 1969 started the no-fault divorce age where you don't even have to have a reason. You just, I just don't love them no more. That's scary. 63, when you look at divorce and fatherless homes, 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaways come from fatherless homes. Get this, it's killed me. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers come from fatherless homes. You see this, this devastating effect that something that seems like everybody's doing it and it's, and it, and it's what I need to do and, and, and it's what I need to be even as a teenager. And you see the effects it has on society and it's killing not only your life, it's killing the life of kids, of families around you, of society. co Habitation is huge now. Whereas now 15% of adults that are in a relationship that are not married live together. That doesn't seem like a lot until you see that between the ages of 18 and 44, 60% of people have lived together with their partner before getting married. And that's what the world says you're supposed to do now, that that's okay to do and, and that we should just live together because what's, what's the excuse for that? What's the reason? You get to know each other better. Seems viable to me. I mean, uh, that would make sense. You get to know each other before we get married. But do you know what statistics say for divorce? If you've li lived together first before you got married, you know what the divorce rate? 75%. Let me remind you, 50% normal 75% if you live together first. God again screaming out, do it my way. And it works better. Hitting hard, I know. But it's needed. We talked about pornography last week. You can go back and hear that message. I don't need to, to rattle off on that again and, and, and the devastation that that's bringing because we learned how to overcome that temptation that leads into so much more sexual immorality. And how the biggest uh, of problems starts in our mind and, and in our temptation. And Satan grabs a foothold and, and leads us out through our flesh. And it's even in women, not just in men. And, and it causes more divorce, more confusion of sexual identity and everything. So from the freedom and universal love movement that we saw in the 60s and 70s, along with the increasingly hyper-sexualized society we live in where sex sells everything now. You watch commercials, sex sells anything from house cleaning supplies to soaps, cars, beer, food, 
all with hypersexuality messages infiltrated in that. You couple all that with the lack of sound biblical teaching in the church over the last 50 years on this subject and on this topic and the seemingly quietness from God's people in the pulpit and you see how we've gotten where we are. Because all the church is interested in in America anymore is entertainment and hyper grace. We just want to preach the messages that feel good. Oh, my pastor preaches is the Bible. He does. Does he preach all of it? Or just the parts that make people feel good? You see, the, the Bible is good for correcting, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness. That's what God's word does. Yet nobody likes really the conviction message, but it, it makes us more like Christ because it stops us in our tracks and keeps us from going down a road of destruction that we've already laid out. That's the beautiful part of God's word. Why do we resist that? Why are we scared to preach that? There's only two kinds of pastors in this world. The ones who preach all the Bible and the ones who need to quit and get out. So here we go. The shift. Here's the beautiful part we want to get today. How do we get the fire back in the fireplace? Because we have a holy God that's able. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-loving. He's forgiving. He, yes, he is full of grace and mercy. He wants his word to convict us, though, so that we fall repentant and come running back to him, surrendering to his authority in our life. And then he puts that fire back where it belongs, where it's safe, where it brings life, where it brings joy that he intended it to have. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word because it never returns void. And Lord, we're on a sensitive and hard topic today. One that's been silent from the pulpits for way too long overall. And Lord, the enemy has used it and run with it. So Lord, we break the silence today for you. Presenting your word in truth. No opinions here. No condemnation here. Only your truth in love so that, Lord, you can lay upon our hearts the hope, the joy that you have put inside us as sexual beings. And, Lord, how you in, intended these sexual relationships to be in our life and in our society. So, Lord, may we hear your truth today and may, again, we be doers of your word and not hearers only. And, Lord, we're asking you to come and do in, in the hearts and lives of your people what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so not too many people probably in here or at the sound of my voice grew up hearing a message like this, especially if you've been in the church the past 20 years, maybe especially even the last 10. Think about how many messages you've heard like this the past 10 years. Why? As the society, as, as Satan is, is running free, destroying lives and homes and marriages and our kids, and we're going to be silent about this? Again, go back to the very beginning message in this sermon series. Why a message like this? Ezekiel 33. Man, the messenger, if he sees the sword coming and doesn't warn that it's coming, then the blood's on the hands of God's messenger as well as the people that fall to the sword. That's why. I want you to hear God's word. I want you to hear the destruction that sin wants to, to, to wreak havoc within your life and in your family and in your future so that you can avoid it. 
You see, the problem is, if you did ever hear anything in church about human sexuality, it was usually laced around something to defect it. It was very quick. It was very quick hit on. It wasn't talked on very long, definitely not for 45, 50 minutes like what we're going to do today. And it was almost like it was something dirty. Okay, I got sex. Oh, he said sex in church? Come on, guys. And when, when this happens, when we act like it's something dirty or something bad, we get the wrong message about what God intended this to be. That it's not that way. And especially if you talk about there's supposed to be any pleasure or intimacy around sex, even in marriage, that is considered sacrilegious. And that is so unbiblical. And we're going to see that today. And our kids... If, we're around, if they're around church people or, or even their parents and, and this subject isn't talked on or, or it's even acted like it's hush, and they start to read into the message that maybe, maybe sex is dirty. Maybe sex is not good. Maybe God is even anti-sex. Because there's no sound biblical teaching on this to back this up, kids then go and learn from their friends, from the internet and from social media. And you see what we get when that happens. So, why? Why not engage as we please? What is the manifestations of this? What happens? Again, why this message? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 9 through 20. I want to open it up with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. And the Word of God says this. You've heard this passage before. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This is a beautiful passage right here. You ready for verse 11? And such were some of you. Circle the word were if you've got a hard copy of your Bible or highlighted in your phone. Were. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Circle the word sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's a beautiful word right there. After the talk of, man, none of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But you were cleansed. You were brought out of this by the redeeming grace of Jesus. You were sanctified by his glory and through his spirit. Get that message, please. Not the condemnation message. God wants to put the fire back in the fireplace. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Under the power of any, that would be addiction. Food for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? That's a prostitute. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? 
For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. A quote from Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Do what to it? Flee Flee sexual immorality, church. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I'm going to be honest, I shouldn't have to say much more after that. That speaks pretty clear, doesn't it? That's God's word, not mine. So we see sexual sin is devastating. It has devastating consequences. We see the statistics. We see what's going on in society. We see the the effects mentally and socially that's going on. But then also why? Why is it wrong? Because the Bible is clear that This type of sin is a sin against God and a sin against our own bodies. We're sinning against ourselves. We're causing ourselves our own pain and destruction. And you see how close in this passage that sexuality and spirituality are often very so close. That God gives this portrayal of of the body in Christ together together. And I love this example of the temple. This is so important for us as a follower of Christ, guys. Did you know your body is the temple? We quote that, we say that, we put it on signs and posters and all that. But do you know the ramifications of that? Do you know what that's really talking about? You look back in the Old Testament, what was the temple? It was the place where God was present. All right? That he was present inside the temple. You had the outer courts. You then had the inner courts. And then you had what was called the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God was instilled. So now, fast forward, Christ come and has placed the Holy Spirit upon us so that now we, as followers of Christ, have the Holy Spirit indwelt upon us. And now the Bible calls our body the temple. Do you know what that just made you? The place where God exists. So the Bible says very clearly, why would you take that and then unite it with something so impure and something so much of evil that's going to cause destruction? If you recall, Jesus in his word, when he went into the temple and he found some people sinning, when the money changers were using it for for their profit and everything, what did Jesus do? Did he say, oh, it's okay, guys, y'all carry on, y'all are forgiven, you you good? Can can, Can I help y'all with that? Want me to count that money for y'all? Is that what he said? Flip them tables over. What is this doing in my house? I want you to get that picture. And how do we justify then the sexual immorality that we try to justify in our own lives? And we're talking about it this week heterosexually and next week homosexually. How do we try to justify that and saying it's okay and pleasing to God when clearly he says it's not. And he hated sin inside his own physical temple that man built so much he flipped over tables. Now this, this temple is the hand that he built, not human hands. How much more so does he not want it in here? And we see the devastation that it's caused. Besides just all the statistics that we just shown, just the cost 
of sexual immorality in our nation, billions and billions of dollars on all the STDs, the welfare system, unwed mothers, everything, even sex education in schools. And statistics have proven that when we teach our kids sex education in schools without morals, their sexual activity goes up. What are we doing? And many would would hear my my message and and hear this plea and hear God's word and say, oh, but come on now. The culture we live in and the pressure that all these young people are under and everything that's going on, you know, and even through early adulthood, I mean, it shouldn't be expected for everyone to to fall and meet this ideal, should it? I mean, you know, even in the church, we know that people in their teens, especially in 20s and 30s, are, man, they're just kids. They're going to have sex. They're going to sow their wild oats, pastor. They're going to let, let them live it up. We all did. They can too. They can come back just like we did. And that's been a message for way too long. And you see what's happened. It's gotten worse. It's killing our society. It's killing our young people. It's killing our homes. So we say we should just teach them about sex and give them contraception so they can have safe sex so they, when they indulge in it, at least the fallout won't be so bad. I've known parents do that. Just get their daughter on the pill so they don't have to deal with it because they know they're going to indulge anyway. So what are we trying to say? That the Spirit of God that has no power in this church age to move people to obedience anymore? Are we trying to say that God's lost his power, that the Bible has lost its authority? Or are we just trying to make excuses for our own sinful nature so we don't feel so bad about it? I choose B. I choose B, because we're so good, you and me both. I've done it, you've done it. Make excuses for, for what we do. Oh, well, it's, it, it's my past. It, it's, it, it's, the, it's the week I had. It's the day I had at work. It's the argument I had. It's, it's because it's, it's, and we talked about the blame game that Adam and Eve did last week. They blamed God. They blame each other. They blame the serpent. Ultimately, all blaming God, and that's where we're at. God, you made me this way. You put all these hormones in me and did this. You should expect me to live the way I want. I don't think so. You see, let's get the picture here. We know the devastation. What's God's design? What's God's plan? How have we deviated? We know from the Bible that we were created in the image of God. Let's look at that. Turn with me to the beginning. Don't you love it when you got to go back to the beginning to get the answer? Just like we did last week on temptation and where it started. Man, the Bible is so wholesome and full. Don't ever discount God's word. Let's turn to chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. That message is coming in a couple weeks. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Did you catch that? We were created in whose image? God's image. And created us male and female for the purpose of procreation. What was, what was the first command right there? Did you get that? Once you created a male and female, and God said to them what? 
fruitful and multiply. Make love. Have sex within the bounds of marriage which, which I placed it. I created you. I created you for this. That there is intimacy, spiritual intimacy and physical intimacy to be had within the bounds of marriage. And that's how God created it. It's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual intimacy that's all connected to this. And what we're going to see is our view on, on sex affects our identity. Our view on sex affects our relationship with others, especially our spouse, and our relationship and view of God and who he is. Because we've been fed lies most of our life about sex. God is not against sex. Can I say that? God is not. God is so affirming of sex that he created it. <laughs> he created our bodies with the specific idea of being able to benefit from this act for procreation, for intimacy, for physical pleasure, and it gives in it the object lesson of Christ and his church. That the unity of husband and wife, the two becoming one flesh. Even Jesus said, Father, you and I are one. I pray that they, the church, will become one with us. It gives this physical representation of union of the body of Christ. And the union of a husband and wife and Christ and his church. It's a beautiful picture that God created and ordained through this. And if you look down farther in, in chapter 2. And you get to verse 18, it says, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. That there is a need for connection, a need for this intimacy, physical, psychological, and emotional intimacy with the opposite sex in the bounds of marriage. It's natural, it's God-given, and it's encouraged within the bounds of marriage. It is not dirty. It is not. It is an act that God ordained for us to take part in, in marriage between a man and a woman only. That's it. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, a little deeper, verse 24, it says, the two would become one flesh. And this would be quoted in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians. Jesus would quote it uh, in the Gospels, in the book of Mark. He would, he would reference this, how the man would, would leave his father and mother, and the two would become united, and they would become one flesh. What does that look like? So up here, I have a couple pieces of paper. Look at that. Pink and blue. How about that? All right? Now I'm going to do a little arts and crafts for you guys. I'm trying not to make a mess on my Bible with the phones blowing up here. But God designed a man and a woman to come together and be one flesh. So God wants us, if you look at Ecclesiastes 4, he wants to be that cord of three strands in the relationship where it's not easily broken too, right? So we'll have God as the glue that brings us together. He ordained marriage. He ordained sexuality. He wants us to take part in this and become one flesh. So he provides the glue that wants to bond us together. And part of this is through intimacy in a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. So now we're no longer two, but we're one. We still have our individual lives, our, our individual characteristics, and, and we're different in many ways, but we're one together. And this is now one piece of paper that goes together anywhere. And that's what God intended. But we'll see later how breaking that up messes it up. 
But that's what God intended was for two to become one. If you look at the Hebrew and the words all through the Old Testament, when, when you see the act of sex taking place in the Bible, a couple of different ways it's used when the activity is unsanctioned by God. You'll see it, the, the words he lie with or he go into. David lies with Bathsheba or you go into a prostitute. And it's very cheap, just, just like the act of itself, almost animalistic. But do you know the terminology that, that God uses in Genesis chapter 4 when he talked with Adam coming with Eve in the first time with, with the sexual union? You know what he referenced it as? He says, and Adam knew his wife. You see the difference? He wasn't just lying with. He didn't just go into. He knew his wife. It was intimacy. It was about expression and connection and what God ordained through this act. This is very biblical, guys, and is needed to be taught. See, because we have this misconception that sex amongst Christians is just boring and it shouldn't be talked about or done or it's just, eh. Even inside the bounds of marriage, and we see we're commanded differently to deeply enjoy each other. Even Solomon, the wisest man, said in the word, enjoy your wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you always and be intoxicated by her love, like a loving doe, a graceful deer. And for those of you that have a perplexed look and are fanning your Bible, that's in Proverbs 5, by the way. And he says to be in, intoxicated by your wife. I want you to think about that. Infatuated, just filled with her and consumed with her love in the intimacy and the relationship within the bounds of marriage. And then he commands, my son, why would you even look at somebody else? Don't ruin it. Be infatuated with your wife and who God gave you and placed you so that you could know somebody, so that it's not just an act to lie with or go into. It's to know somebody. It's to do life together, to be connected on the most physical and intimate level. That's what God intended. Even in Corinth, Paul had to speak to the Corinthian church who, who had false doctrine coming in and, and people trying to teach different gospels. And, and we had very carnal ways starting to infiltrate the church and be accepted by the church. Sound familiar? Where even sexuality started to be confused in the church with heterosexual sin and homosexual sin. So Paul had to, to preach on this. And we read the passage in chapter 6. But now let's read this passage in chapter 7 where we see that our body belongs not only to God. We've learned that our body belongs to our spouse. Let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. This is what God intended. He said, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Talking about physical intimacy there. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here we go. Do not deprive one another except with consent, mutual consent, some uh, translations say, for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. That would be the only time for mutual consent, maybe, that you're fasting. 
you're seeking God. And then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan wants to appeal to the flesh any way he can get it, even within the bounds of marriage. He wants to get in your mind, in your heart, like we talked about last week, and tempt you to do things that you never thought you would do. Even if it's just on the computer, because the computer seems safe, right? I mean, that's just me. Nobody knows about that. I'm not harming anything. That's, that's all right. And we learned the devastation and the effects that it has last week. And it's a lie. But it seems so safe. And the whole time the enemy's prowling, like we talked about last week, getting closer and closer, ready to pounce and devour. He wants to steal it. So we as husband's wife must know that, man, our bodies are, are not our own. They're God's. We're the temple of God, but we also belong to each other. That doesn't mean that we have dominion and control over each other's bodies, but it's talking about physically, that our, our bodies are created to be together intimately for a purpose in a consistent way that our flesh doesn't fail. We haven't taught this well in the church. Our body belongs to God first and to our spouse, not just to us. If anything, it's ours third. Kind of follows the love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength, and others as you love yourself. Man, kind of follows that, doesn't it? In a big way. So this isn't just some little area or part of a relationship. It's part of a bonding process that God intended. Yes, it's physical. Yes, it is just a small portion of, of what life entails. But there is an extreme mental and emotional connection that happens and takes place in this. Walt Larimore is a uh, very famous uh, physician. I believe he's a fa family physician, also a psychologist. And he did a study on what happens inside a man's brain during sex. And he showed that there's a bonding that happens to men that causes him to open up and communicate and connect more intimately, mentally and emotionally after sexual relationship with his wife. What does a woman want out of a man more than anything? Emotional connection, conversation, that intimacy that goes beyond physical. What is the man? Well, we're created a little different. We're more visual. We're more active. Intimacy is a big part of our relationship. But I want you to see how God makes that such a beautiful union. What the woman is looking for and longing for happens inside the man's brain during this act created by God to connect them. What the man wants from the woman is given, and then she gets what she wants. And it's just relationship. It's kind of like the trees in our life and our earth. We breathe in oxygen and give off what? Carbon dioxide. The trees breathe in what? If you don't breathe, you know what I'm saying. They take in carbon dioxide and give off what? Oxygen. It's a beautiful relationship that gives life and makes things work. And that's what God instilled within the husband and wife relationship. Beautiful, beautiful research. Secular research against statistics. Don't you love it when secular research even points to what uh, God had to say in his word? In 1994, there was a study done, a massive um, study done out of University of Chicago called Sex in America, a definitive study. And in that, it found this, what God said would be true would be true. Defies the misconception that sex amongst Christians is boring and, and nasty. You ready? In this study, they found this after surveying a very large sample size. So everybody... Every, I'm sorry, everything that people think about how sex works in America is far from the truth. In America, with all the TV commercials, you would think that the hottest sex is single people and the swinging lifestyle. The report shows the opposite. Single people have less sex than married people on average. 
the people that are most satisfied sexually have sex the most often, all right, are the people in a monogamous relationship. And these people are most often orthodox conservative of, of, consort, of orthodox conservative views and who often are highly religious. That's secular research. Screaming from the rooftop, the best sex on the planet is in the relationship between a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship. God's saying it, secular research is saying it, so why aren't we living it? Because we've been deceived, that's why. We all have and led astray by an evil one who wants to destroy. We know the Bible prohibits the act of sex outside of marriage. We could go through multiple, multiple passages, and we could be here all day. But we know even Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, not commit adultery. We know the 1 Corinthians chapter 6 passage that we just read. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, speaking about the Israelites and how they had rebelled against God. And it said, nor let us commit sexual immorality like many of they did, and 23,000 of them dropped dead in one day. Could you imagine that? Oh, thank you for the cross, baby. You know what I'm saying, right? Where the wrath of God was poured out right now. That's why he's not doing this stuff right now because his wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross. But there's coming a day, all right, when if you're still here and the rapture's taking place where Jesus is coming and the wrath is coming back to mankind for those who haven't aligned themselves with his word and put their trust and faith and hope only in Jesus and surrendered and repented and living their life for him. The wrath is coming back. Yes, he's poured it out on Christ. And so for those that receive Christ and make, make him Lord and he's our Savior, that wrath doesn't have to touch us because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. And give God praise and glory for that. Because 23,000 dropped dead because of sexual immorality of the Israelites in one day. You think God doesn't take that seriously? That's some big stuff. We get so big and talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and all this stuff we're going to talk about next week. How about the heterosexual sin that's sweeping our society and ruining homes and lives? We need to get serious and get offended by our own sin before we worry about how somebody else's sin. Right it's right here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. For this is the will of God, the Bible says, your sanctification. What's the will of God? Your sanctification. Oh, you mean not just to punch a ticket so I can go to heaven and then live my life like I want? Mm -mm. I know that's said in the church down the street, but that's not what it is. It's God's will for you to be sanctified. The same power, the same spirit that justifies you and makes you saved is the same power that we have to sanctify us. The Bible continues and says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's your own body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to look at that passage real quick. You can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. We've had that message a lot. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here we go, chapter 5. If you look and you know we went through Ephesians as a church, chapters 4 through 6 are really 
telling the church, the followers of Christ, how to live like Christians. You ready? But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Other translations say don't even have a hint of it. As it is fitting, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, nor idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. How many times does the Lord have to say it? Let no one deceive you with empty words. I'm going to say that again. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no preacher, no pastor, let no friend, let no coach, let no nobody tell you that it's okay that you can live how you want and have your Jesus too that is not in the Bible. Paul said we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore, that we could be set free. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't join the crowd. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. It's it. All day, every day. It's just his word, guys. It's just his word. It just needs to be preached and told so that God can do his work through his spirit in our lives and in our hearts. So is this just a bunch of rules? Why? It's just a bunch of rules. Somebody might be out there and say, man, that's why I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to, all I read, what I read this is a bunch of do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. I don't want any of that stuff. Is that what it's about? No. No. It's about God setting a standard because he wants the best for us. Don't you get that? He doesn't want us to have the destruction and the pain of taking the fire out of the fireplace and spreading it in our house so that we're running around frantic and, and just hoping we can save our things in our own life. He wants us to enjoy it within the bounds he's created because outside it destroys. That's why. It's not just do's and don'ts. It's not legalism. It is sanctification and a life that Christ wants you to have. But so many people walk around and just look at like, how much can they get away with? You know, kind of like on your test in college, you know, you get to exam week and you, you, you got a certain grade and you look and you're like, all right, what kind of grade do I need to get on this exam to still keep my A? Anybody done that besides me? That's what I did. It's like, dude, I ain't, got, I ain't even got to get but a D on this. You think I'm studying? Man, we do the same thing spiritually. How much can I get away with, God? Can I just get a, a D on this? I mean, those Ten Commandments, if I... If I fail on two or three of them bad boys, that's an 80, right? If I only miss two, y'all all right with that? How about a 90? That's an A. I just missed one. That adultery stuff, man. That's, uh, I just missed one. I got a 90. I got an A, God. What's wrong? Do you see how we do in our human heart? And we try to lower God's standards and expectations to make ourselves feel good and to make ourselves feel comfortable about how we want to live our lives. And behind that is our flesh and an enemy that wants to deceive us. Let no one deceive you with empty words because he's good at it. Truth is, God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. There's the truth of that verse. It's not to give you money and it's not to make you rich. That's not what that verse means to me. People take that out of context. It's talking about, I won't want you to feel the pain and destruction of sin. I want you to live according to my word so that you can have a prosperous life compared to living outside of these boundaries because they'll destroy. 
but yet everybody says, oh, everybody needs to go wild at one time, Pastor. And, you know, they'll, they'll come running back. Some people may say, you know, I just want to live my life the way I want to live it right now, but, but I'll come back later. Do you know how dangerous that is? How do you know you have tomorrow guaranteed to come back? Don't. Here's another part of it that's dangerous. Who knows your heart? God. So if you're saying, God, I don't want to live for you right now, maybe later, God knows your heart. So when you eventually come back later, are you truly justified in that, knowing that you played this game with God? God says in Galatians 5, I will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And we just mock God as if you're not important right now. But later, later, once I live it up and get what the world says is going to make me happy, maybe I'll come back to you. And we treat God like he's second best. And we see a reason why so many followers of Christ and maybe even so many people at the sound of my voice, they feel like there's no power in their Christian life and their Christian walk. They feel like that when they pray, they're just speaking to a wall and their prayers never get answered. They feel like when they read God's word that they really never get nothing out of it and there's, and there's no spirit of the Lord really speaking and moving in them. And maybe there's a wall there, that's why. Maybe there's a wall of sin because sin still separates you from a holy God. He cannot exist in the presence of sin. Even if you're a follower of Christ, he cannot leave you. You don't lose your salvation, but you can sure break the fellowship line with sin. You can sure let the enemy come in and torment you. The enemy can't possess you because God is in you, but he can torment you, and he will. And he will get at your family. He will get at your home. He will get in your mind, and he will start to get in your heart, and then he will get in your hands and feet, and he will make you do things that you never thought you would do. And he will use that to run other people away from the cross because they, say you, they see you being a, a claimed follower of Christ, living like the world. And they say, if that's what a Christian looks like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Do you see the cycle? And that's not to condemn everybody. That's to wake us up and say, God wants us to live differently for a reason, for a purpose, because we're his ambassadors. We're his representatives in this world. And also, he doesn't want us to endure the pain and destruction that sin brings. So as a result now, unfortunately, we have a, a bunch of people in the church that live no differently in the world, and therefore we have a powerless church. And it's sad because God's church, that remnant, is powerful because God is there. And inside this sin of, of sexual uh, idolatry and, and fornication is rebellion. It's saying, God, I'm going to do it my way, the way I know is best, the way I think is best, the way I see everybody doing it, and I don't care what you say, I'm going to ignore it. It's called rebellion. Who rebelled and paid for it? First one was Satan, wasn't it? Remember, he was created as an angel, and he rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him, and the Lord cast him out of heaven. How about the Israelites? They rebelled. We saw 23,000 of them dropped in one day from sexual immorality. What happened to them? Did they see the promised land when they rebelled and turned against God and turned to their own ways and doubted his promises? They didn't get to see what God had intended for them. There's too many people in the church age today that will never see what God intended for them because they're choosing the ways of the world and not the ways of the cross. And that's not what God wants. He wants to bring us back. So if you're a follower of Christ today, I hope you've heard the call of God to do it his way. If you're single today, save yourself for this. 
Spare yourself in your life and your future the destruction that we've read about. Don't be a statistic. Trust God and take glory in the fact that one day you will have the best sexual relationship that this world has to offer because you're going to do it God's way. And pray for your spouse, your future spouse, if you're not married yet. Pray for them to keep themselves pure because God says the marriage bed is holy. It's to not be defiled. So pray for yourself that God would give you strength to resist. Pray for your future spouse that God would give them strength to resist because here's the truth of what happens. When we do this outside the bonds of marriage and we have sex outside of marriage, And we say, oh, well, I love them, so it's okay. No, it's not, because you're not committed in the bounds of marriage. You say, oh, well, we're committed to each other. No, you're not. You'd be like, well, what's a piece of paper? A piece of paper is really nothing. It's the commitment before God. Because in marriage, you're bound, a covenant relationship, and if you're not married, you can just get your keys, your stuff, and go anytime you want. In the grounds of marriage, that's a little bit harder to do, isn't it? So if you are committed, get married. Stop. It's the word repent. What does repent mean? It means to stop what we're doing, confess our sin to God, realize that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of his glory in some way. We're sinners in need of a savior. And then it means to deny myself and my own fleshly desires and my own wants, take up my cross and follow him, which means to submit my life to him in his ways. That is repentance. Stop, confess, deny yourself, submit yourself to God. Anything short of that stops the process. Too many people just say, oh, I'm going to stop and confess. I'm going to have an emotional experience at the altar one day and cry. Did you change? Did you deny yourself from that point forward? Did you pray for the power of the Spirit of God to change your life? Did you submit yourself to God's Word and His authority and His truth? If not, you haven't repented. That's repentance. A bunch of pastors want to say the word repentance, but they don't want to explain to anybody what that looks like. That's what it looks like. Stop, confess, deny yourself, Submit yourself to God. That's repentance. That's it. Because unfortunately what happens, if we take this out of the fireplace like we've done in our society, this beautiful oneness that God intended to have, when we separate, as often happens with sexual relationships outside the bounds of marriage through high school and college, that when we leave each other, some pieces of the blue come off on the pink, And you can see this is really going to get jacked up. I use too much glue. (laughs) Some pieces of the blue come off on the pink and some pieces of the pink come off on the blue. And everything gets torn apart and nothing looks the same and everything's really messy from that point forward. God doesn't want you to experience this. So he set the bounds for us to follow. Here's the beautiful message. You may have messed that up. You may be here sitting here today, be like, Brad, I'm all over the internet more than I want to be looking at all the stuff I know I don't need to be. I'm in a sexually immoral relationship with my um, girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm, I'm, I'm in an adulterous relationship right now. I'm, I'm living in sin, Brad, and I feel like I've gone too far and God can't help me. I want to tell you right now there's a lie from the pit of hell because Christ came and died, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, while you were still sinners, Christ came and died for you because he wants to set you free today. 
The enemy wants to make you think you're too far down the road and you've already indulged, so you might as well just keep going because he wants to keep you on that path to destruction. But God wants to give you an exit ramp today through the cross and say, I've come that you can be more than a conqueror, that you can have victory over this, that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because I have come to give you the grace and mercy through a repentant heart that stops, confesses, denies itself, and then submits themselves to God. That's what God wants from all of us. Did it right today at the foot of the cross. No matter how far you are, no matter what situation you're in, get it right today. God wants to put the fire back in the fireplace in your life. Do it right now, no matter where you are. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brad, man, we're living together. Do what you got to do to get out. Got to get an apartment. Do what you got to do. Do it God's way. Honor him. You say, oh, we're getting ready to get married in a few months anyway. Brad, what difference does it make? It makes a big difference to God when you make a stand for Jesus and the truth of his word. Don't let the Satan keep you in the sin anymore. Make a stand for Christ, for morality, for, holes, for holiness. And God will honor that. Even though you may have messed it up to this point, make the stand now that the, the next few months that we get married, the next year, whatever it is, we're going to do it God's way. And I promise you, watch what God does. He's going to make that sexual act in the bounds of marriage, everything that it was supposed to be because you honored him right now. Do it right now. Teenagers, you're in a relationship. Stop. Do it God's way. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. He'll make you clean. He'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But then he goes more than that. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He wants to make you pure and whole like it never happened before. Yes, you may need some help to do that. Yes, you may need to get with a counselor. We have a beautiful chain breakers ministry to help anybody that's dealing with any kind of pain and addiction and problems in this life. Come join up. Maybe you need to get further counseling. Maybe you need to get an accountability part and digging into the word. Yes, you will need help, but do it now. And break the chains that have bound you. Jesus came to set the captives free. Are you free? Be set free today. Don't hear a condemnation message out of this. Get the conviction, yes, and then fall with a repentant heart on your knees. Cry out to God, and he's going to meet you where you're at, but he is not going to leave you where you're at. He wants to make you whole, renewed, restored today, and give you life. Will you run to him? Will you run to him? If you really want to change, he'll give you the power to change. This could be the most pivotal moment in your life right now. It could affect not only your life right now, but your future for years to come. Don't let Satan keep you in your seat anymore. We're going to have an invitation here in a minute. And I know it would be extra hard possibly to come to the altar today. But I wonder what God can do if you did. If we just all knew that all of us are struggling with something in here, all of us are sinners, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment in here. Be set free. You need to pray and talk with a pastor about this, man. Please come. We're up here. I hope there's so many people coming. We have to bring our, our, our youth pastor, Cody, up here, our, our elders, everybody to pray with people. Let's get it right with Jesus today. Let's put the fire back in the fireplace. Let's come before a holy God who wants to restore, renew, that we can be set free and that we can be his representatives in this place. Yeah. Amen. What could God do if we moved? <laughs> 